Hey, just to clarify, any, uh, for any of you, if you have looked at the sermon title uh, today, uh, truth be told, I don't actually know anything about physics, all right? Um, I, I've witnessed some things, right? I know that gravity exists. I know that I can hold something up, and, and uh, if I let it go, it's going to drop. Uh, I've seen centrifugal force, or more, I should say I've felt it, right? And uh, pulleys are something that I talk about in physics. I don't claim to understand how pulleys work, but I've seen them take place. If you know how they work, you can come talk to me later on, and um, I might give you the time of the day. Then there's also, like, there's leverage, you know, and, and these are all things that I've seen them in action, but I don't, I don't really get them, and I have never taken any kind of course on physics. And so um, there were, I have some friends of mine in high school that did take a class on physics, and in their class, they built a self-propelled car. And I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I was looking at my buddies in their self-propelled car, and that was pretty neat. And there was a little while where I was like, you know, I wish I, maybe I had taken that fifth period physics class. And then I realized that while they were in fifth period physics class, I was actually getting an extra long lunch and a cat nap before football practice because I didn't have a fifth period. And so I was glad, once again, that I didn't take it. And I'm okay. My life has gone fine without knowing much about physics. And so for those of you who saw a sermon title and you said, excellent, I'm so interested in physics. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually don't know anything about physics. And for those of you who said, oh, man, physics, how lame. Good news for you. <laughs> I actually don't know anything about physics, all right? So um, the, the things that we're going to talk about today, I've, I've just kind of found that there's a way of expressing them that seems to kind of like, seems kind of like I'm talking about physics, but the reality is, again, I don't know anything about physics. So we're in a sermon series on Jeremiah. Um, today the section is... Uh, 34 through 38, but I'm going to focus in uh, my time in 37 and 38. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to read a passage together from chapter 37. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He reigned in place of Jeshua Chin, son of Jeshua Kim. Neither he nor his attendants nor the people of the land paid any attention to the words of the Lord, had, to the words the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Notice that phrase. It's, they were intentional there. Uh, they didn't pay any attention to the words of the Lord. That's an, that's an important phrase. Um, King Zedekiah, verse 3. King Zedekiah, however, sent Jehuchal, son of Shelemiah, the priest of Zephaniah, son of Messiah, I didn't practice these names, I should have, to Jeremiah, to the prophet with this message, please pray to the Lord our God for us. It's feeling the press, right? Now Jeremiah was free to come and go among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. Pharaoh's army had marched out of Egypt. And when the Babylonians, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard the report about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of me, Pharaoh's army, which has marched out to support you, will go back to its own land, 
to Egypt. Then the Babylonians will return and attack this city. They will capture it and burn it down. This is what the Lord says. Do not deceive yourselves, thinking the Babylonians will surely leave us. They will not. Even if you were to defeat the entire Babylonian army that is attacking you, and only the wounded were left in their tents, they would come out and burn this city down. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Have you ever been in a lose-lose situation? You've experienced those, right? Um, this morning, my son was in a lose-lose situation. A couple weeks ago, I told you about how my son doesn't like to wear clothes. And so this morning, I go in once again. It's Sunday morning, and I, I give him his options. You want these pants or these pants? And you can just see it in his face. What do I do? How do I, how do I say no pants? You know, like, and he's, and he's looking at this, and, and you can see in his face that either way he turns is a bad option for him. It was a lose-lose. There was another example. I was, I was kind of looking some up on the internet, and I found one. Um, in the 17th century, during the witch hunts, um, this, is, this was fascinating to me, uh, they would take ladies that they were accusing of witchcraft, and they would tie their thumbs to their big toes, and they would throw them in a deep river. And basically the idea was that if... if they floated and somehow were saved, then it must be that they called on the power of the devil and the demons and they, were, and they were saved. And so clearly the ladies were guilty. However, if they drowned, they were proclaimed innocent. How nice, huh? You're innocent, but of course you're dead. Lose, lose situation. Better just not be accused of being a witch, right? Jeremiah here is in a lose-lose situation. Just when it appears that the Babylonians might leave Judah because they're going to have to go deal with the Egyptians, God tells Jeremiah to go tell the king that he shouldn't think that that is going to happen. And so Jeremiah has two options here, right? He can either ignore the word of the Lord, the word of God. He can ignore that and not go tell the king, which is probably going to give him a little bit more of a cush and a little more comfortable of a, of a life there until... Indeed, the Babylonians conquer them. Or he can give the king the message that the Lord had given him, which would probably put him into face-to-face -face contact with the wrath of the king, and, and particularly the wrath of the king's officials. And so we've been studying Jeremiah for long enough now that we know what Jeremiah is going to do, right? He's not going to waver. He's going to go and he's going to tell the king God's message, and that is going to put Jeremiah on some shaky ground. So the first point of emphasis, the first little physical lesson here that we can draw from this is just that just because God is steady, just because God is a solid rock and a firm foundation, that doesn't mean that the times won't get shaky. I think that if I were God, I might have structured things a little bit differently. Do what I say and everything is going to be smooth. There will only be win-win situations. There will be no catch-22s. Take the course that I give you and you'll never end up on shaky ground. Now, there might be times when, when, when that is God's promise, but it doesn't seem to be the norm. Um, and perhaps you can find a, a story of a person in the Bible where God told them to do something and they did it and, and, it, and they just cruised through and, and, and that worked out fine. You might be able to find one. I can't really think of one. 
Um, but maybe there is one in Scripture. However, quickly, we can come up with lots of stories where people did what God had asked them to do, and they still ended up with a lot of challenges, and they ended up in some precarious situations. Think of Joseph, right? He flees from sexual immorality with the Potiphar's wife, only to be accused of it anyway, and ends up uh, found guilty and in jail. And then you can think of Paul, who once he was converted, he began to radically preach the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And while he had great success in it, his life was never as comfortable as it was when he was a Pharisee. And he spent a lot of time in jail, and he spent a lot of time in house arrest. He even spent a lot of time stranded, on shipwrecked on a deserted island. There are plenty of people in the book of Acts that we could talk about that ended up in some turbulent situations as they followed God. You only have to go as far as Stephen, the church's first martyr. And I find it just a little bit backwards that God invites us to a life with him, and then his promises sometimes don't seem to be as catchy as you might want them to be. When he called Joshua to succeed Moses and, and to, to lead his people, he didn't say, yeah, just go ahead and go into the promised land. You'll cruise. Things are going to be all right. No, he, he says to him instead, uh, he says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And at first, that sounds really nice. The Lord is going to be with us wherever you go. But do you ever think maybe Joshua kind of thought that through and he said, now, why would God say, don't be terrified? Why would God say, um, don't be discouraged? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're going to face plenty of terrifying things. You're going to place, you're going to face some things that will certainly be discouraging. I mean, after all, Joshua was just going in to lead the people into a promised land that they had been avoiding at all costs for 40 years. They sent 12 spies in to check out the land, and 10 of them came back and said, please don't ever send us back there again. <laughs> and so God's promise of, I will never leave you or forsake you, has a couple of buddies tagging along with it called terrifying and discouraging. We recently read another beautiful promise here in the book of Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you. Oh, yeah, but I'm going to uproot you, right, and move you into exile, a heartbreaking exile for 70 years. And then there's the granddaddy promise of them all. When Jesus himself says, in this life, you will have trouble. <laughs> and what's crazy is that he says that phrase in like a, a, a section of the scripture where Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. And he's kind of warning them about what's going to happen to him. And he says some things. He says, I'm telling you this so that you will not fall away, so that you will have peace. He says, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And he tells them that they'll be scattered. And then he says, and I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And right after that, the very next sentence, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Really? You're telling me this so that I'll have peace? And then you say, like, these are the things that are going to happen? We'll be scattered. We will have trouble. I don't, I don't totally get it. All right? And I don't want to just kind of resolve this dilemma too easily for us. I think it's important that that it sink into us that God has promised that we will find ourselves in shaky ground. 
Just because God is a solid rock doesn't mean that the times won't be shaky. And if we really think about it, it makes sense. I mean, if we are living as ambassadors for God in a world that has rejected him, right, we will stand for an agenda that is at odds with some of the powerful people or structures that don't want righteousness. Your Christ-seeking and your faith-centered point of view puts you at odds with culture and makes you look like a fool. And that's the sales pitch. That's what you've signed up for. You might say, no, no, I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for eternity with the Lord in heaven. Yes, you did. But that road passes through Foolville. It does. And you know what else is that, that, that the town of Foolville is precariously situated over a fault line called persecution. It's a tough reality. Jeremiah was living in Foolville for about 40 years. He was trying to warn a culture about the destructiveness of the things that they thought were just fine and dandy. And he found himself in a real fine mess here, right? Here he is, this king that who continually seeks to get his information and his advice and yet never seems to be interested in following it, once again has asked for inside information about Judah's fate. And Jeremiah has given him the same message numerous times and has faced hardship because of it. So whatever shall he do? Well, again, we know Jeremiah. We know what he's going to do. He's going to let his faith shine, and he's going to do what is exemplary because he's convinced of also the converse of that statement that we saw, right? He also knows that when times are shaky, God is steady. The Bible talks about God being a shelter in the storm, or it talks about God being a strong tower against the foe. And, 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 and the thing about that is, is that it's kind of just, it's taken for granted. It is given the fact that there will be storms and that there will be foes. But he wants us to know that he is solid and strong for us to lean on when facing them. Continuing in chapter 37, picking up at verse 11. It says, after the Babylonian army had withdrawn from Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah started to leave the city and go to the territory of Benjamin to get his share of the property among the people there. But when he reached the Benjamin gate, the captain of the guard, whose name was Erijah, son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, arrested him and said, you are deserting to the Babylonians. That's not true. Jeremiah said, I'm not deserting to the Babylonians, but Elijah would not listen to him. Instead, he arrested Jeremiah and they brought him to, and, and brought him to the officials. They were angry with Jeremiah and had him beaten and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, which they had made into a prison. Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained for a long time. Then King Zedekiah sent for him and had him brought to the palace where he asked him privately, and here's the phrase again, is there any word from the Lord? <laughs> yes, Jeremiah replied. It's the same one I've been telling you. <laughs> you will be handed over to the king of Babylon. Then Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, 
What crime have I committed against you or your officials or this people that you've put me in prison? By the way, where are your prophets who prophesied to you that the king of Babylon would not attack you or this land? But now, my lord, the king, please listen. Let me bring my petition before you. Do not send me back to the house of Jonathan, the secretary, or I will die there. And so King Zedekiah then gave orders for Jeremiah to be placed in the courtyard of the guard and to be given bread from the street of the bakers each day until the bread in the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. Now at this point, I'm not totally sure what to think of King Zedekiah. He's kind of he's interesting. There have been some points throughout the book of Jeremiah where he was just kind of portrayed as just kind of a, a mean tyrant jerk that was antagonistic to Jeremiah's message. But here he seems somehow to really want to know some things. However, at the same time, he doesn't really hold Jeremiah like, with, a high enough, with high enough esteem to set him free. It's a little bit confusing. You see him coming in and he has Jeremiah brought to him privately. He wants to keep this whole interaction between him and Jeremiah a secret. You can see him just kind of like looking around. Anybody looking? Any word from the Lord? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's kind of like now he recognizes that Jeremiah is the only one who really had a message from God, but he's still too scared of his own officials to do anything about it. What you have here is a shaky king. He is weak and he's scared and he's totally waffling. When his officials are around, he talks to them as though he's a, he's a nationalist and he's all about defending the city at all costs. God will come through for us here. And then yet when they're gone, he's shaking in his boots. He's totally afraid. In fact, he's afraid of everybody from, from every situation he is afraid. He's afraid of the Babylonians. It's interesting that the Babylonians were the one that put him in place as a king. He's their puppet king, and, and yet the Babylonians still have this, this goal that they're going to come and crush him and lead him out into exile. And so he's afraid of them. But at the same time, he's afraid of the Jewish people because many of them have already uh, willingly left to be in the exile uh, following the advice of Jeremiah saying, you know, go into exile. And so he's afraid that those people will be upset for him for not having just uh, surrendered sooner, and they're going to want his blood when the Babylonians do conquer. And then on top of that, he's afraid of God because more and more he's starting to recognize that the things that Jeremiah has been saying for so long actually were a word from God. And so he's freaked out. Ultimately, he was a man standing on a very flimsy foundation on the mistaken hopes of false prophets, and things have gotten really shaky. And he was beginning to realize that his castle was falling down. Now there's a clear juxtaposition here. We're supposed to recognize that about the king. It's, it's clear that the scripture is painting, is painting an, uh, an unflattering picture of the throne, not just King Zedekiah, but really of all the kings in, in that line after Josiah. It's unflattering, and, uh, and there's a juxtaposition that, that we're supposed to recognize here between 
King Zedekiah and Jeremiah, who stood firm on the foundation of the word from the Lord, the word of Yahweh. And for years, even in the midst of the shakiest times, Jeremiah stands before the king and proclaims his unwavering message. We're supposed to recognize how clumsy and foolish the king's actions were, and we're supposed to emulate Jeremiah, and we're supposed to learn that there is nothing that serves as a better foundation for our lives than the word of God. And if we'll learn that, and if we'll edify our lives on the word of God, then we will have solid footing when things get shaky. And again, again, there is going to be shaky times, but when they come, we'll have something firm to stand on. I'd say that things are pretty shaky around us even now. The struggling economy is shaky. Politics, world politics, terrorism has us on edge. There seem to be rising levels of corruption all over the place. Integrity is nothing more than a nice ideal. Simplicity is scarcely even considered. Moral failures abound, although they're not considered failures in most cases anymore, unless you can use it to smear somebody in a, in a political campaign. And, and that's not even to begin to talk about our own, our own personal challenges. Uh, when you talk about financial challenges or strained interpersonal relationships or, or emotional struggles from a hurtful past or illness or whatever other issues that we all face in life, there is no question that things get really shaky. And Jeremiah is a witness for us that what we have to do, that really all we can do is choose early to make the word of God our foundation and stand firmly on it when the quaking begins. Um, I spent several years in Costa Rica, and for the first two and a half years that I was there, I rode buses everywhere. And I spent a lot of time on buses, and they are, they are an adventure. Um, getting on a bus from San Jose, Costa Rica, right at quitting time, that's a lot of fun. Um, you, you'll be sitting at that bus stop, and they just keep on piling them in, right? And by the way, just because every seat in the bus is filled, that doesn't mean the bus is full, right? They're going to keep on coming in. And you've got to fill the whole aisleway, and you've got to fill like the emergency exits, and, and the, the steps down, everything's got to be full before we take off. And then you think, hey, we're full, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna get a ways out of town. No, sure enough, one kilometer away from that bus stop, bus is slowing down, let some more people on, and miraculously they fit. They get on. And then it happens miraculously three or four more times before you get far enough away from those stops that anybody's deciding to get off. So you're cram-packed in there, and, 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 and Costa Rica is blessed Nine months out of the year, it rains, okay? And when it rains, it rains. And so that not only affects driving conditions, you know, with the rain pouring down and slippery roads or whatever, but also it makes the ground the, the, the real, real pliable and it's constantly moving. And so the roads end up with huge potholes and uh, you have to swerve to dodge them. Meanwhile, other cars are swerving to dodge them. And so buses have to swerve to miss the other cars as well. And not only that, but the, um, the police in Costa Rica are not quite as empowered as the police here. And so a lot of people don't really have much regard for traffic laws anyways. And so pile this all together. And what you've got, when you're leaving the bus station from San Jose during high peak traffic time, you have an adventure 
of a cram-packed ride. And at any moment, there can be a swerve or a sudden stop or a big ditch pothole that if, if you aren't holding on to something in that bus, you're going down. And not only are you going down, you might be taking several others with you. But that's what the Word of God promises for us. Promises for us something sturdy to hold on to when there's a swerve or a pothole. To take it out of these terms of, of physics, we can, and to talk about it biblically, you might say that we will have peace that surpasses all understanding. You might say that His grace is sufficient for us. Or you might quote Jesus' story in Luke 6 that I'll show you because this is, this is great. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Doesn't that story just ring of Jeremiah and King Zedekiah? The foundation and the lack of foundation, and you end up with this shaky, wavering, waffling king. And so we learn, a second point, that when we lean on something sturdy, like the word of God, we are sturdier. In verses, uh, in, in chapter 38, there's an additional story there that's, that's similar. Uh, I'm going to skip it um, for a little bit. But what happens is that Jeremiah goes about again, and he's from, I guess, the courtyard of, uh, the, courtyard of the guard. He's telling people that if they don't get out of Jerusalem, then they will die by, by salmon, by salmon, <laughs> by famine. <laughs> They will die by sword, famine, or plague. And when you combine those, you get salmon or plague. And so that bothers the officials. And this time what they do is they take them and they put them in a cistern. And there's supposed to be water in the bottom of the cistern. But in this particular cistern, there's no water in the bottom of it. It's just mud and deep mud. And so Jeremiah goes in and he ends up sinking deeply into the mud. However, there is a Cushite by the name of Ebed-Melech who comes and uh, he goes to King Zedekiah, again, this waffle king, and he says, hey, this isn't right. Like, you let these guys, uh, you let these guys put Jeremiah in the cistern um, and all you did was say, he's in your hands, you know, but he shouldn't be in there. Let's pull him out. And King Zedekiah is like, yeah, you're right. You know, I'm a waffle guy. Go ahead and pull him out. And so they pull him out um, and they take him once again to be in the courtyard of the guard. But we're going to pick up now at chapter 38, verse 14. 
Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet. Again, like he keeps on doing this, right? Sent for King Jeremiah, uh, King Jeremiah, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and had him brought to the third entrance to the temple of the Lord. I'm going to ask you something, the king said to Jeremiah. Do not hide anything from me, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah. If I give you an answer, will you not kill me? And even if I did give you counsel, you wouldn't listen to me. But King Zedekiah swore this oath secretly to Jeremiah. As surely as the Lord lives, who gives us breath, I will neither kill you nor hand you over to those who are seeking your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared, and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians, and they will burn it down, and you yourself will not escape. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians, for the Babylonians may hand me over to them, and they will mistreat me. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will, go well, it will go well with you, and your life will be spared. This passage illustrates another truth, and really this, combined with the other passages, it illustrates a truth that you'll see over and over again as you journey your life with God. Many of you have been long, living long enough that you've seen this far more often than I have, this, this reality. You've seen it played out. You can see it also play out uh, in a physical way, like if, if you imagine the bus uh, once again in Costa Rica, uh, imagine that it slams on its brakes and, and there are those in the bus that aren't holding on. What's going to happen with them? They're going to fall over. And if those guys, if those guys want to do anything to keep themselves from smashing into the ground, they're going to be grasping for something to hang on to, maybe a seat, maybe a, one of the bars, or maybe even a person. Sometimes the only thing that might come between a person who is going to crash might be you. Several times in a bus, I've found somebody suddenly grasping my arm to keep their balance. Um, it's kind of funny how sometimes it happens uh, kind of the younger generation, when it happens to them, they'll grab on and say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, sorry about that. But like the older ladies, usually they'll do it and they'll just like, I didn't do that. <laughs> they just totally ignore the fact that they almost like took you down with them. But that's the reality. Um, and you'll see this played out, not, not just on the buses. I mean, you'll see it played out in people's lives as they live their, live their lives with seemingly no regard for righteousness or for eternity, and then suddenly their lives will get shaky and they'll start clutching for anything that's sturdy or steady. King Zedekiah found his world shaking. His bus had made a sudden stop and he was clutching for something sturdy. And he called for Jeremiah because he recognized that Jeremiah seemed to be pretty firmly grounded. Uh, I've mentioned uh, a downstairs neighbor that I had um, a couple years back. Uh, since then, Laura and I have moved. We've moved about 
100 yards into a, a different building where um, these neighbors are no longer our downstairs neighbors. Um, but when we lived above them, we didn't have Josiah. It was just Laura and me. And we're not crazy partiers, you know, in spite of what you might think. Like, we're not in our apartment, like, doing Native American dances or anything like that. Uh, we just, we're, you know, we're home and we're just hanging out. We're typical young couple. Um, now, Jeremiah, I mean, with Josiah, that's a different story. I feel bad for our downstairs neighbors now, but they don't complain at all. However, these ladies complain to us frequently and often quite rudely. Um, and I kept on imagining, like, what better upstairs neighbors could they have? But we continually tried to respond graciously and um, just trying to, trying to be like Jesus would to them. Uh, about a month and a half ago, it was 10 p.m., and we're in our new apartment, and a loud knock comes on our door. And loud as uh, she's doing dishes or something like that, but she could see out the window. And, and it's, it's our old downstairs neighbors, which it was, it was two ladies. One was a middle-aged lady, the daughter of an elderly lady. And, uh, and she sees the younger of the two ladies, and um, I, she probably had a flashback of like, oh, no, like, She's, how has she come to complain? We don't even live over them anymore, you know? But we go over, and, and, and I open the door, and she begins to tell me that uh, her mother had had two strokes uh, earlier that day, um, but that the strokes had done their thing, and it didn't seem that there was anything more that the doctors could do um, about it, and so they sent her back home, but she was really scared and really nervous about what might happen to her mother in coming days, though she was still doing fine. And then she said this phrase, that it, and it just kind of shocked me. She said, I just felt like I needed to come look for the friendly neighborhood pastor. Her earth was shaking, you know? Things were rattling a little bit. And she found the need to cling to something that seemed sturdy. And this is, this is a reality, and you'll see this played out. And, and when someone that you know starts to struggle or starts losing their bearing, I pray that they will reach out for you. I pray that you'll, and, and I pray that when that happens, you'll be clutching tightly to Jesus. When the earth shakes under the foot of someone nearby, I pray that they will find strength on your shoulder and that you'll be standing firmly on the word of God. Because when the times are shakiest, the shaky go looking for the steady. So the physics lessons of today are these. The world we live in is shaky. And only the word of God is steady. So cling to the word of God. Because that way, when things get shaky, you'll be standing on something steady. And that makes you steady. And when you do that, you become an extension of the arms of Jesus, the arms that opened wide at Calvary and said, come to me. And when people grasp for you because you're steady, you're just a connecting point for Jesus. And when people cling to you because you're sturdy, in turn, they find themselves in contact with our Lord.